0: i will go ahead and dive into God's Word this morning. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13. It's a new year, and I always feel the temptation to try to find something new to say in a new year, but then I open my mouth and realize that there's nothing new to say. <laughs> so we're going to look at a very old passage, very old, familiar passage, and, uh, and then we'll get back to our study through Hebrews next Sunday when everybody's back. But I want us to think uh, from something that Jesus says in John 13 about the fact that, um, and it's sort of kind of a, a new New Year reminder kind of truth that, as as Christians, as professing Christians, um, as a professing, I represent Jesus to everyone around me at all times, um, all the time, at at every moment. In in a. <clears throat> that's this. Good to be reminded of at the outset of a new year, at the outset of a new semester, to reorient myself to what, what I'm about every day of my life, every moment of my life. I'm representing Jesus Christ at all times. In a similar way to the fact that Jesus said to Thomas and, you know, in John 14, you probably opened up to the page. Um, uh, in John 14, when Thomas, Jesus had to Thomas and the other disciples, if they had seen him, they'd, they'd also seen the Father. In a similar way, it is true that when people see us, who bear his name, who uh, have his Holy Spirit, when they see us, they are to see Christ in a a way, and to to see Christ in us. Perfectly? No. But this is what um, Jesus meant in large part when uh, he said of his people in the world that we are his body in the world we are his body in the world and that um that not just that when we think we are his body don't just think in the way that the scriptures lay it out that that means we each have a different function that collectively make up a whole body you know some of us are eyes some of us are arms some of us are whatever like like paul says to the corinthians but it also means we are his physical representation in the world like we are his physical presence in a sense in the world Uh, and that shows that it's not just me by myself that's a representation but we together as the church we together as the body of christ we not just i we bear the the name of christ not just for the forgiveness of our sins not merely for the hope of eternal life but also to be his witnesses in the world and to be the living images of christ in the world paul said something similar before we get to john 13 paul said something this, this idea is all over the scriptures example paul said in in colossians whatever you do this is colossians three seventeen. whatever you do in word or deed do everything in the name of the lord jesus giving thanks to god the father through him every whatever you do whatever you do do everything everything we do everything we say we do and we say as he says in the name of the Lord Jesus, what does that mean? It means not that everything we do and say we have to tack on "in Jesus' name," amen, to the end of it, but it just means everything we do and say reflects on the name of Christ, and and uh, and 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 therefore either represents or misrepresents him um, to the people around us or. To the wider culture and so this morning i want to think about a very specific way that jesus directs us to represent him in the world and that is representing jesus by our love i want to talk i want to think about that for a minute this morning representing jesus by our love for one another and i don't suspect we're going to consider anything that we've never thought about before this morning i i I see it rather like a an exhortation another exhortation to live out what we already know is true. Um, and we're going to do it from a passage that we're probably really familiar with. Something that um, Jesus told his disciples on the, the very night that he was arrested and the night before he went to the cross. Um, an event that he foretold himself three times before this night, so he knew it was coming, and these were what he chose to be his last, some of his last words before that event, meaning they are some of the most urgent and some of the most important. So we're going to read John 13, verses 34 and 35. So if you have found that place in your Bibles, I invite you to follow along as I read. Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Let me just pause right there. That right there is, an, is a ought to make you pause and go, how is that a new commandment? You know, because love one another is all over the Old Testament. Love your neighbor as yourself is one of the great commandments. So in what way is love one another a new commandment here? Okay, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Let's pray. Father in heaven, uh, we come to you in Jesus' name, in the power of the Holy Spirit, confessing to you our faith that this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, clear, sufficient, necessary word to us. And uh, we want to submit our, our minds to what it says here, our desires, ourselves, to what it says here, what Jesus says here. And um, we ask that you would give us um, minds to understand the truth that is here. As we just said, this is a, a new commandment that Jesus is giving. And the, the commandment is to love one another. So help us to think and give us a mind to understand how is this particular iteration of an old commandment, a new commandment? Give us minds to understand the truth. Give us hearts to embrace and love the truth that we find here. And give us wills to obey what it leads us to do and commands us to do. And give us, uh, give us all eyes to see and ears to hear. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we think about uh, this familiar passage two basic patterns uh, are really evident in it. There's two basic patterns is what we're going to think about this morning. The first pattern has to do with love as a distinguishing mark of a Christian. Love as a distinguishing mark, which is not hard to find in these verses. It has to do with you individually and me individually and personally. So love is a distinguishing mark of a Christian. But the second pattern that is also clear in it is that love is a distinguishing mark of a church. Love is a distinguishing mark of a church. This is also very apparent in Jesus' words. Uh, Not just you personally and me personally, but us together. Um, It's a really beautiful passage. So we need to think carefully and probingly about what Jesus is saying here. Because at one glance, what he's saying here in these these verses may, may seem to be just really obviously easy to understand but i think there's a level of meaning and a level of significance and a level of aim and intention in jesus words that uh we need to think more deeply about to get what he is saying so uh just to sum up what i'm going to say is we as professing christians uh and the church as the lord jesus christ it's good to think about on, on a new year We represent Him in all that we say, all that we do, all that we stand for. And this is Jesus saying outright, how you love, how you love is is a reflection on Him in the world. And and therefore, and this is a commandment, this is something that we will all uh, one day stand before Him and give an account for how we took this command seriously or how we didn't and 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 how whether we gave ourselves wholeheartedly to keep it and obey it and i'm convinced that that if we as christians or and if we as a church um loved each other like jesus is saying here in these verses that the gathering of the church would be one of the most joyful places in the world um almost irresistibly so um and I suppose there are two goals in what I want to say this morning. Um, one, to encourage us and exhort us to, um, to love each other like, like Jesus says to here. And, uh, and, and maybe secondly, to open our eyes a little, maybe to some ways that we don't or ways that we fall short. So this is a good aim to remind ourselves as we begin a new year by God's grace. Uh, There's no way way we can say everything here, but let's just get into it and say what we can and think first about love as a distinguishing mark of a Christian. This is the simplest of the two points this morning. Um, Simplest because they're so obvious, uh, but they need to be said because Jesus said it. We're starting at the individual level. Uh, It's the mark of a Christian, an individual Christian. Because while Jesus is talking to all of his disciples here, and this, this, uh, this was a command that he was giving to all of them together. That's going to be the second point. The message was first and foremost to, to each of them individually because, because for a whole group of people to obey a command, uh, they each have to individually first commit to obey it. And, uh, and the basic command given to each one of them and to us is to love. Love. Now, to actually hear what Jesus is saying here, we we need to not assume we know what Jesus means. Um, Let me say two things about love here that I think are clear in the passage. And one is this, love is identifying. Love is identifying. I'm simply saying what I think the text is saying. And if it's simple, talk to Jesus about it. Love is identifying. That's the final thing He says here in verse 35, he says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. The way that you love, this is how all people will know. That means it's identifying. The way that you love identifies you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It identifies you as a believer. Now, Jesus can say this because um, he he defines what kind of love he's talking about. Um, A specific kind, a specific way of loving, which we'll describe in the next point. But let's just say this at the outset, because the basic command is to love, and this love is identifying you as a disciple of Jesus Christ. It cannot be overlooked, and I'm talking to myself as much as to any of us, right? It cannot be overlooked that if when people think about you, or me, or talk to you, or talk to me, if when they walk away, they're not sure that you love them, then we've done something wrong. Not a complicated point but it's something we just usually pass through casually through life, never thinking about. And at the very least, we're doing something wrong because we're misrepresenting who Jesus is. We bear his name. People don't know, people do not know that you are a follower of Christ by your pride, or my pride, or our coldness, or our rudeness, or our irritability, or by surrounding ourselves with our easiest and funnest friend group and never break outside of that or never let anybody else into it. Even worse, if they do know you're a follower of Christ and that's what they get, those things make people want to not have anything to do with Jesus or the church. Right? It's, it's, it's how you love people that identifies you as a Christian. It's it's by this, Jesus says, that people will know that you're a disciple. It's identifying in that way. That is John 13, 35. But that leads to something else that Jesus says. Not only is it identifying, but for it to be so, it has to be intentional. Love is intentional. That is seen in the first thing that Jesus says in these two verses. In verse 34, he says, At root... A new command I give to you that you love. It's a commandment. And you don't accidentally obey a command like this. You, you, it's intentional. You don't stumble into obedience to a command like this. Um, there are all sorts of commands that you could accidentally obey. You might not be in a hurry. And you might be driving 40 miles an hour and you realize that the speed limit is 45. So, you're, But you're just not in a hurry. You're not, you're not intentionally trying to drive the speed limit. You're just not in a hurry. And you're accidentally obeying the speed limit. But this is not like that. This is a, di- this is a thing that you cannot accidentally obey. This is, you don't stumble into obedience to this kind of love. You decide to obey. You intend to obey. You act to obey. And if the command is to love, you have to decide to intend and to act to do that. Sometimes you have to intentionally work very hard to love people. And I'm not... because Not everybody is as easily lovable as other people. Let's just be real. And I'm not... That's not being, me being mean. I will freely admit the very real likelihood that I myself am not as easily lovable to everybody as I am to some. I mean, just that's because I have my own sins. I have my own faults. I have my own shortcomings. I have, I have my own weak moments where I might say something that makes you mad or hurts your feelings. I have my own shortcomings and my own faults, and you have yours, put those two things together, not everybody's as easily lovable as everybody else. And, uh, and, and therefore, loving people in obedience to this command of Jesus has to be intentional. An intentional act, an intentional decision, an intentional thing. And you do it because you know, among other things, this is something that identifies you as a follower of Jesus Christ. it's it's identifying it's a way that Jesus himself says right here in the plainest of terms how you as a Christian as a follower of Christ can represent him well in your life which ought to be the absolute utmost concern for any person who professes to know Jesus to be saved by him and to follow him but there's there's more to say about this passage because It's not not enough just to say that love is a distinguishing mark of a Christian. It is that if your life isn't marked by obvious love for people, you're misrepresenting Jesus. And I am. Uh, Jesus, who demonstrated his love for us in that while we were still sinners, before we were repentant sinners, died for us. It's the mark of a Christian. But it's more than that because God in his providence has provided Christians, his followers, with a specific group of people to demonstrate that Christ-like love in all of its fullness and in all of its glory. And that's the church. Then I want you to know that what we're, what, what we, we're going to say and what he says here about How we as a church love one another. um, It's not just so that this is a joyful place to come. But that when we love each other like that, like this, like he's going to describe that in itself is part of our witness. That in itself is part of our witness. Yeah, there's communication is always going forth. Not just in our words, but in our, our actions. And we see, and I, that's not me just me saying that, that, that's what you see. Just think about, uh, you don't have to turn here, but just think about, for example, that really well-known early description, the description of the early church in Acts 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, and to the breaking of bread and the prayers and receiving their food with glad and generous hearts. Doesn't that just make you want to be there? Glad and generous. Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number. Day by day, those who were being saved. I have to believe some of those were added to the number because they happened to be in a home full of glad and generous hearts. Or they had been the recipient of somebody who sold some of their property to help them in their time of need. Love and the love of one another is not just so it's a happy place, but it's communication going forth. That's what it is. Because it's it's not just a a, a distinguishing mark of you as a Christian, but us as a church. Love is a distinguishing mark of a church. Church. So let's think about that for a minute. When Jesus gave this commandment, again, although it had to be initially uh, obeyed individually, because for a group to obey, each individual has to obey, it is still true that he wasn't sitting his disciples down one by one and giving them each this commandment. He was talking to them as a group. And, uh, And he looked at the entire group And he said, not just love, but love one another. Love one another. And that one another is important. It it, it appears three times. Three times in two verses. He says, verse 34, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also to love one another. By this all people will know. You are my disciples if you have love for who? One another. Three times. And that right there shows you that for that phrase even to make any sense, love one another. For that to make any sense, that shows you that Christ-like love is more than just a kind feeling in your heart. It's not something that you can fulfill all by yourself. It, it's, it's not something that is fulfilled um, just by kindness in your heart it, it, it it's something that you need the church in order to obey you need objects of your love to obey it think about that every one another command there i don't know if you have ever lined them up i think i've given you a long list of these at some point how many commands in scripture are one another commands. Serve one another. Love one another. I mean, teach one another. Exhort one another. I mean, just, I feel like over half of all the commands in the New Testament are one another commands. In other words, you can't isolate yourself and obey them. You need to be with each other to obey them at all. The church is a necessity in your life, not just a luxury. And to begin understanding all that Jesus is saying in this passage, I want to say a word about a blind spot that seemingly most churches, at least in the Deep South, have. In their understanding of the church, um, that keeps them from seeing all all the fullness of what Jesus is saying here. And I don't pretend that in one Sunday... Sunday morning I can bring out all the fullness that Jesus has here, but it's something that all of us are, are always constantly working to fight. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the fact that in, in most churches, at least in the Deep South, what comes, what comes to our minds when we think church, what immediately comes to mind is either the Sunday gathering, what we're doing right now, um, or the facilities, the place that we gather, right? Um, you know, I got to run up to the church for something. So it's either what we're doing right now on Sunday morning or this, this place that we gather. It seems like in, in, for a lot of us, most of us, maybe all of us, because of the culture in which we grew up, when we think church, those are the first things that come to our mind. Both of those things are very important. Like, especially the Sunday gathering, like, this is a time that was ordained by God, where we come together, and we come together to hear God's word, we come together to sing praise to His name together, we come and we bring our tithes and we bring our offerings, we publicly declare the word of God. This isn't an optional. this isn't an optional thing. I mean, God says in Hebrews 10:25, "Don't neglect doing this." as is the habit of some. So what we're doing right now is eternally important, and and it's fundamental, and it's non-negotiable. But when our whole conception of church is wrapped up in what happens on Sundays and where it happens, we shortchange and we neglect the full implications of commands like love one another. And we all know that deep down. Because the ways, the ways in which we can truly love one another when we get together in this place on Sunday morning is actually quite limited. Right? The way that I can love you on a, in a Christ-like way in this place on a Sunday morning is rather quite limited. Because we've already, we've already been here for a while now this morning And most of you in this room right now, I have not yet personally talked to. Not even that. You're listening to me right now. But neither one of us actually had a one-on-one conversation when we got here this morning. And think about how many different ways can you actually demonstrate Christ-like love to somebody when they're sitting across the room from you or during the, the meet and greet time in the Sunday morning service. You know, some people don't even like that. They go get their hand sanitizer out. The kind of thing that, the, the kind of loving one another that Jesus is talking about in this verse, by the very nature of it, is, is something that has to take place outside of these walls at any given moment of time. And it cannot be limited to one day out of seven. But see, that's the heartbreak of it all. Because in most churches, and sometimes we don't need to always think it's somebody else's church. Because it can creep into this church too. In in a lot of churches, there is very little contact between many of the members during the week. And... And that lack, is, that lack of contact is multiplied even more when you're talking about contact between different age groups of people. All right. If you, if you actually do get together with other people during the week, it's probably somebody exactly your age or exactly your station of life. And that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing to get together, people your age, your your station of life. That 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 sometimes are, is God's grace to you to give you some of the sweetest friends in your life. <coughs> I get that. But there's a there are a great deal more people in the church than just people our age or in our station of life. And I'll say, and Laura and I, well, Laura would agree, some of the. Some of the sweetest friends and the richest relationships we have ever had in our lives were with people who were 10, 20, 30, 40 years different in age from us. It's just true. And this is why I said earlier that Christ-like love is intentional. It takes thought and planning and sincere concerted effort uh, to expand your active fellowship in the church. We try to provide ways to do that. I mean, coming up, one of the things we didn't uh, mention in the announcements was that in February, around Valentine's Day, we're going to do again a college ministry senior saints Valentine's thing like we did last year. Why do we do that? Not just so you can have one fun night, not just so you can um, learn somebody's name, but that you can actually get to know them so that you can continue a relationship with that person and they can continue one with you. You know? Because um, yeah, it may be that our, for our whole lives, our fellowship within church has looked uh, one way, that is, very age-graded. You know? Jesus calls us to break out of that mold that we've made for ourselves and not only get to know other people not only get to know their names but get to know them and and serve them even if it's a tuesday how do we know that how do we know that's what jesus means by this because of six little words that jesus said in this passage and i'm referring to the phrase from jesus just as i have loved you that by the way is what makes this a new commandment Because love your neighbor as yourself is really old. So in what way is love one another a new commandment according to Jesus? Because now it is exemplified for us in the life of Jesus himself. Just as I have loved you. There's a greater specificity to it. And you and I are not just called to be kind hearted. And have a pleasant disposition on our face. And speak and say hello when someone passes by rather than be self absorbed and ignore them. Should do that. And try to remember people's names. But we're called to intentionally love them just like Jesus has loved you. What does that look like? Well, it'll take us all eternity to know what that looks like. But we need to know that He loved us sacrificially. Did He not? He loved us sacrificially. Just marinate in that for a while. We're to love people like that. If we we never sacrifice anything of our own, never sacrifice any preference of our own, we never sacrifice any easiest thing for another church member, we're probably doing it wrong. And Jesus loved us truthfully. Jesus spoke truth, he he's even hard truth, but with obvious and evident love behind it. Sometimes loving someone is not taking the, the most palatable route for that person. Let me just say, one of the most interesting things I've always in the story of Lazarus, you probably know where I'm going with this. Turn back to John, John 11. John 11. In verse 1, Now a certain man was ill. Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. So let's just set the stage. Is Lazarus dead? No, he's sick. Okay, verse 2. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. Okay, is he dead? No, he's sick. Verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. We're three verses in. Is he dead? No, he's sick. But when Jesus heard it he said this illness does not lead to death it is for the glory of god so that the son of god may be glorified through it verse 5 now jesus loved martha and her sister and lazarus so verse 6 when he heard that lazarus was ill when he was sick he stayed two days longer where he was why so that lazarus would die i mean verse seven then after he this he said to the disciples let us go to judea again And the disciples said to him rabbi the jews were just now seeking to stone you uh and are you going there again jesus answered are there not 12 hours in the day if one walks in the day he does not stumble um let's just skip on down verse 17 Now when Jesus came, he found Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, Martha went out, Mary remained seated in her house, and Martha lit into Jesus. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But Jesus let him die because he loved him. It says so in verse 4, 5. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lazarus died the first time. He died that first time because Jesus loved him. Jesus could have said the word from where he was and Lazarus would not have died. All I'm trying to say by that, and you can go back to verse chapter 13, all I'm trying to say by that is love does not always look like what's going to be the easiest thing for that person to hear. It's what it's what, you know, needs to happen for the best possible outcome. And that may be a very uncomfortable conversation or a very uncomfortable course of action just know this it may be it, it, you may not have had to deal with this at, at any point in your life yet but just know don't let this wash right by you and never hear it i'm telling you live long enough and you'll have to have these kind of conversations and you'll have to take these kinds of courses of action and you will debate in your mind is this the loving thing to do jesus let lazarus die truthfully jesus loved us truthfully he spoke the hard truth even but it was always love behind it that's the the point i'm trying to make love and love isn't always saying just what people want to hear but what they need to hear and saying it and doing it with as much humility and kindness in your heart and in your voice as you can muster trusting the holy spirit to help you convey it and he loved us graciously So hear me out on this. I'm not just, in this new year, I'm not just telling you to roll up your sleeves this year in a way that maybe you've never done before. I'm not just telling you to roll up your sleeves and go to work. Love. well, I sort of am. I sort of am in the sense that what Jesus is saying here is a new commandment. It's not a new suggestion I have for you. It's a new commandment. So we do roll up our sleeves and go to work in obedience to his command. I am telling you that, but not just that. Because if I was just telling you that, then all I'm giving you is a new law to keep. And I don't think Jesus himself is just giving us a plain old bare law to keep. Um, Because law just shows us how sinful we are. I, I'm, I'm telling you to, I'm, and I'm telling myself to roll up our sleeves and go to work because if we are a Christian, if we have given our lives to Jesus Christ and He's given His Holy Spirit to us who is within us to motivate us and move us and help us, strengthen us, correct us enough to do what Jesus commands us to do. So prayerfully look for ways to love people. Love each other, love people other other age groups in this church, people who don't look like you, people who don't um people who aren't just like you because i i I'm guilty of it as much as anybody else. <coughs> it is easy to love people that are just like me. why because I love myself so much. loving other people that are just like you is loving yourself right. So look for ways to do that this year. It may be, <coughs> it may be somebody else in the college ministry whom you have seen around, but you don't really know them. And you may, you may have even noticed that when you have seen them around, they were often standing alone. And they didn't have, they didn't seem to have, they didn't seem to be in any kind of friend group. Go to that person. That's who Jesus would go to. All right. It may be somebody of a completely different age group or different stage of life, and it probably should. And it may be somebody you don't know well at all but serve them in some way for the glory of Jesus. And there's a thousand ways you can serve people. I mean, pick up the phone, write a note. It's kind of old-fashioned, but it's never out of fashion. Who doesn't like to get a note? Right? Right? I love getting a note in the mail. I love getting a note in my little mailbox. Notes are awesome. You know? In fact, notes didn't, notes did not come uh, frequently. Like when I was a pastor in Tallahassee. You know, you hear a lot of yang yang But you, but every now and then somebody writes you a note really encouraging i i put every one of them in my desk. i desk. St- i had a stack of notes i didn't throw them away i want to keep them that's what you can do with a note write somebody a note be a note writer have somebody in your house for dinner all right meet a physical need whatever it may be go to a shut-in and vacuum their carpet and dust their furniture i mean whatever do it and let it not be a one-time thing like This is how Jesus told us to represent him and how we should represent him and how people know that we are his disciples. That would be a good way to kick off the new year and the rest of our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this exhortation and thank thank you for leaving us your word in written form. We get so distracted by other things in our lives that we might go the rest of our lives never thinking or remembering that Jesus said this. If it wasn't written down for us and we could come back and read it again to help us to be by the strength and ability of your Holy Spirit to be this kind of people, each of us individually and all of us together as a church for the encouragement of each other, for the glory of you, King Jesus. Pray in your name. Amen.